This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baer. War continues to rage in Israel with pro-Palestinian protests breaking out across the United States and the world, uh, criticizing President Biden's handling of the crisis, even inside his own State Department. Thousands of people, however, gathered in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday to show support for Israel and condemn anti-Semitism. While some other protests across the country have turned violent, Vice President Harris insists citizens have the right to demonstrate. People have a right to protest. We are a democracy, and we should value the voices and listen to the voices. House Speaker Mike Johnson looks to avoid the mistakes of his predecessor, former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, in his negotiations to stop a government shutdown. For a conversation on this and more, we bring in our panel, Director of Domestic Policy Studies at AEI, Matthew Cognetti, Fox News Senior Political Analyst Juan Williams, and Fox News Audio Political Anchor and Washington Correspondent Jared Halpert. Matthew, uh, your thoughts overall, we had a pretty good indication of uh, congressional support for the pro-Israeli march uh, today on the Mall with the Speaker and uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, as well as um, Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries and uh, Senator Joni Ernst representing Mitch McConnell. Uh, And the turnout is pretty significant on the Mall this afternoon. Yes, and it's uh, great to see uh, so many people turn out in support of Israel, not only in support of Israel, but to demand the release of the captives, more than 200 captives, some uh, babies, uh, and also uh, to march against anti-Semitism, which has reared its ugly head uh, throughout the world since the October 7th terrorist attack. I think it's important to remember, Brett, we see these scenes taking place in cities around the world. Uh, pro-Hamas marches, uh, really disgusting statements of anti-Semitism taking place in some of these protests. But in the main, the American people remain very supportive of Israel. And that input that the electorate is for and continues to support aid to Israel in its war on terrorism uh, is going to reach some difficult outputs because what you see now with the tied up aid to Israel, we still are nowhere near a resolution to send the aid that the Biden administration has requested uh, to Israel because of congressional deadlock. And we're also seeing the Biden administration so eager to get some of the captives released, not all of them, just some of them, 
that they're beginning to pressure Israel to slow down its military campaign. And we have to remember that the most the, the best way to release the captives and the best way to ensure that something like October 7th never happens again is for Israel to win and to defeat Hamas. Yeah, Juan, today the uh, administration came out essentially declassified information saying that they do um, confirm that Hamas is using hospitals um, and people in hospitals uh, as human shields uh, for their command centers. That's right. And, you know, this is a, a tricky one. I, you know, picking up on what Matthew was talking about, there is a real divide in the country generationally. I think pretty much it's the case that older Americans, people who have some memory of World War II, of the Holocaust, um, and the establishment of Israel are in support of Israel at this moment after they endured a terrorist attack that killed more people, as it's often said, it sounds as if I'm repeating something, but it's just a factual statement, kill more people, more Jewish people than at any time since the Holocaust. And But among younger people, there is more a sense of, gosh, you know, what about those children that you're talking about? What about those hospitals? Even today, as you were saying, Brett, the administration confirms that the that Hamas is using not only people, but hospitals. In other words, people who are newborn, people who are sick, people who are at risk of dying as shields against Israel, uh, the Israeli Defense Force in the course of this war. So this is a situation that is... Um, pretty terrible. There are arguments about how many people have died, whether or not you can trust the numbers coming from Hamas uh, and the health agency there uh, on the Gaza Strip, which is controlled by Hamas. Um, but I think that right now, the emphasis, both in Israel and here in the United States, and in the short term, according to lots of people, is on the hostages. And apparently there is a lot of activity about getting a large number of the hostages released, apparently taking place in negotiations through Qatar. Yeah, there is something, uh, Jared, that the administration has hinted at that might include multi-day uh, humanitarian pauses, not just these four-hour stints uh, that include some hostage uh, release. We don't have any details on that. The Pentagon, uh, through the Pentagon official, Deputy Press Secretary, said that uh, they are not seeing the war expand beyond Gaza. I, I just don't know if that's how you would describe what is now 55 attacks on U.S. troops in multiple bases throughout the Middle East, in Syria, in Iraq, uh, elsewhere. And if that's not an expansion by Iranian proxies, I, I'm not sure what is. No, it's a good point. I think when you hear the, the administration talk about the war expanding, they're certainly concerned about Hezbollah launching a second front against Israel, certainly concerned about some of these proxy groups, I think, trying to uh, draw in Israel uh, to a broader conflict. And that, so far, that has not happened. Now, I think it is something that the administration, certainly the Pentagon, uh, is very concerned about. We have certainly seen, for instance, the uh, buildup of military assets, those uh, fleets of warships uh, in the Mediterranean and in the Red Sea as well. Um, this has been a, a challenging sort of diplomatic um, issue for, for this administration because they are standing uh, side by side with Israel at the same time. 
uh, sort of every day we hear from the administration that they want Israel to reduce the number of civilian casualties while noting how embedded Hamas is in, in civilian populations. Notable today, even President Biden uh, said that his message to uh, the families of, of hostages was hang in there. We're coming and said that he's been talking with people every single day and said, I believe it's going to happen, uh, but did not want to get in the details of, of what that would look like. Um, so on the one hand, I do think that the administration sees some progress in, in the, the Gaza conflicts, particularly as it relates to, to Israel's ability to strike at Hamas. But you're right. There are growing concerns about how these Iranian-backed uh, militias, these proxy groups around the Middle East, uh, can target Israel. And as we have seen over the last several weeks, uh, certainly try and target American forces as well. And, and you've seen the, the, the administration now uh, respond with, with a couple of airstrikes, mostly in Syria, targeting you know safe houses in, in these weapons depots. Yeah. And Matthew, as Iran uh, funnels money to Hamas and Hezbollah, some 93, 94, 95% of their funding comes directly from from Tehran. Also, these various Iranian proxy groups are getting supported by Tehran. Um, the Biden administration today is approving a sanctions waiver that allows Iran to access at least $10 billion in previously frozen funds held in Iraq. A little complicated here, but it's to pay for electricity uh, in Iraq, but it is not done with Iraq money. It is done in euros, and it goes directly into Iranian banks. It's supposed to be used for humanitarian purposes, but like the $6 billion that was so controversial in the hostage exchange from Iran with the U.S., uh, money is fungible. And the critics of the administration say with another $10 billion, they don't have to spend on providing anything for their uh, for their own people, they can funnel more money to other terrorist proxies. You know, the former Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett compares Iran to the octopus, and the arms of the octopus are the proxy militias in Syria and Iraq, the Houthi militia in Yemen, Hezbollah in the north, Hamas in the south on the Gaza Strip. And the administration seems to be busy with all the arms of the octopus, but they don't want to confront the head of the octopus. And of course, the head is the softest part of the octopus. But there's been a reluctance threat to draw a connection between Iran's funding and this axis of resistance that has popped up throughout the Middle East. Uh, the reluctance is there because I think the administration still holds out hope for some type of renewed nuclear agreement with Iran despite all the evidence to the contrary. We know that as these attacks on our forces continue, that our deterrence against them has failed. And so blowing up the weapons depot, blowing up a facility uh, in Syria um, has not inspired fear in Iran and in these militias. And so the attacks are going to continue. What's, what's necessary is to, to, to view the whole animal, the whole octopus, and treat it as the threat that it is, the Biden administration is very reluctant to do so. Yeah, and well, let me be clear on this. The Biden administration paused that $6 billion payment, or at least stopped it for the time being. But this is separate of that. This is, first, uh, the Trump administration allowed Iraq to import electricity and gas from Iran, but only on the condition that these payments were kept in an escrow account in Baghdad. 
the Biden administration continued to issue that waiver, and then they broadened it just a couple of months ago so that Iraq could move $10 billion outside the country, enabling Tehran to draw on the funds for its budget and humanitarian needs uh, at this time, late October, early November. And so, yeah, listen, money is moved, moves around. The, the problem is the timing of all of this for the Biden administration already being criticized for its Iran policy is not the best. No, uh, you know, the, the problem that the Biden administration faces is they don't want World War III to be put it in, you know, hyperbole. They are trying to manage a very difficult situation. We've already referenced moving warships into the Mediterranean. Part of that maneuver is intended to signal, as they have said, if you have any thoughts, Iran, if you have any thoughts, Syria, if you have any thoughts, Hezbollah, don't do it. And Hezbollah so far has not done it because they could be involved in what is taking place between Israel and Hamas. So you have to understand, I think they are trying to tamp down inclinations for this wider war that really could not only involve the entire Middle East, but from their perspective, could put, a, put an end to talk of a larger peace deal. And Brett Baer, you would, you're in touch with this. You know that the Saudis and Israel were approaching a deal, and part of why Hamas has acted as they have done is to, I think, inflame the Middle East and prevent any kind of peace deal that would assure Israel's existence in a you know, potential for economic activity uh, that I think would allow the entire region to be in a better place. But the Biden administration is trying to manage that explosive set of circumstances. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. We'll continue right after this. Speaking of money, uh, moving money around, uh, Jared, the House is trying to deal with a continuing resolution to fund the government. Um, they need to do it. Today is the vote. Uh, a little bit later. Will Speaker Johnson have his first victory, or does this go down in defeat? Well, I think it depends, Brett, how you define victory. Is it a victory for uh, Speaker Johnson uh, if he relies on a bunch of Democratic votes to get a spending bill over the finish line? Because we've seen uh, certainly what that has meant for his predecessor, haven't we? And so, uh, listen, I think that, uh, you know, this sort of multi-leveled or l laddered CR is, is something that um, is ultimately probably going to be successful. It's sort of two short-term spending deals to, to get into uh, February 
Democrats have kind of complained about the timeline of it, uh, but at the same time have been pretty complimentary that it doesn't have any policy changes. It doesn't have any spending cuts. That's been the complaint from uh, members of the House Freedom Caucus who who put out a statement this morning saying that they were not going to support this. Um, so it, it seems like if it passes, it, in, it's going to do so largely w- with support from Democrats. And I wonder what that means for the runway that this new speaker will have with uh, the base who, um, you know, put a lot of pressure on on Kevin McCarthy not to make these types of deals. I'll also say that maybe one thing that gets this over the finish line, Brett, is I can't think of a larger group of individuals than the United States Congress right now who, who need a break from one another, given the uh, type of back and forth we've seen from members over the last just 24 hours. So maybe that's uh, enough to, to move this across the finish line just so everybody can take a recess and, and regroup. Yeah, Matthew, that does have something to do with it. I mean, after having been through what the Republicans have just been through in the search for the next speaker and Speaker Johnson being him, it, maybe there is an effort to move on. There still will be, I'm sure, some folks who say, this is why we got rid of the last speaker. Right. Uh, and of course, even if the continuing resolution with these two tiers does pass, Brett, it means we'd have to face this whole debate again uh, in the winter and the spring of 2024. I do think Speaker Johnson has uh, something of a reservoir of goodwill. Um, he's uh, new. He's a f- creature of the Trump era in American politics. He doesn't quite have all of the baggage that Kevin McCarthy had uh, coming from the pre-Trump GOP. And so that might give uh, Johnson some room to maneuver in this initial debate. But the fact is, many Republicans come to the House of Representatives wanting to sh- have a shutdown. They think the shutdown is the best way to force the issue, uh, take the issue to the American people and to show that they are against changing. They are rather against the way things are done in Washington, D.C. Now, history suggests that the party that starts the shutdown doesn't benefit from it. But uh, these members, they don't really care about that. (laughs) So uh, I do think that we're going to have a shutdown one of these days simply because there are enough Republicans in the conference who think that even if it doesn't benefit the country, uh, it will help prove to their constituents that they are doing the best they can to change Washington. One last word. Uh, uh, Schumer, uh, Senator Schumer said he was he was encouraged that this uh, keeps spending and doesn't cut uh, big Democratic priorities, uh, at least in this continuing resolution. It doesn't mean that uh, that's not a goal for the House Republican caucus, but uh, to avoid this shutdown, they may they may do just that. I think that's what we're going to see. And, you know, the question is, who, if not Mike Johnson, uh, who can lead the Republican caucus in the House? Uh, The Freedom Caucus, as you've heard, did say that they don't like this deal because it doesn't have cuts. But on the other hand, Chip Roy, the congressman from Texas, said that he commended Mike Johnson uh, for standing up, you know, for for trying to deal with this situation. And I think it's not only uh, Chuck Schumer, the Democratic majority leader in the Senate, but also when you think about Mitch McConnell and the Republican caucus in the Senate, they want a deal. Everybody says, let's get a deal and let's move on. And it is delaying it with this this maneuver. Uh, you know, it requires a suspension of the rules, and and that's why you need the two thirds vote, which requires the Democrats 
votes to replace lost Freedom Caucus votes. But I think there's an overwhelming sense that this is not a winning hand for the country, first of all, and secondly, not a winning hand for the Republican Party going into an election year. Um, that Republicans are likely, if history is any teacher, to get blamed for this shutdown. This is just a difficult, difficult political moment. And I think Jared was touching on this, you know, people starting fights and saying, oh, you elbowed me and all this. There's a lot of tension, people quitting in the caucus, the Republican caucus over the last few weeks. A very difficult moment. And maybe we do need a break here. Let's give thanks. Yeah. Man, Michelle, we'll track it all. Uh, panel, thanks. Now for a bit of history. On November, November 14th, 1969, the Apollo 12 mission was launched from the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. The mission was crewed by Commander Charles Conrad, Lunar uh, Module Pilot Alan L. Bean, and Command Module Pilot Richard F. Gordon. Seven days after launch on November 19th, Charles Conrad and Alan L. Bean landed on the moon, becoming the third and fourth astronauts to step foot on its surface. That will do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. For Matthew, Juan, Jared, Umbra, Bear, we'll see you next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.